0: And this week, I want to talk about a simple idea that God's power proves that he is our provider. The title of the message is From Power to Provision. and We're going to be in First Kings 18 tonight reading a famous story about uh, prophet Elijah and his uh, little showdown with the prophets of Baal. And uh, before we get into 1 Kings 18 and give you a little context, because it's a long story, a lot to tell you, but we're just going to read one one piece of, of scripture. At this time in history, the king of Israel is a man named Ahab. And the word says that Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it actually says it a little bit worse than that. It actually says that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. How many you know that's not what you want written about you? If you get written about in scripture, <laughs> he did more to provoke God to anger than any other king before him. He married a foreign woman who introduced foreign gods to the nation and he propped up those gods, built altars to those gods and worshiped those gods. He abandoned the commandments of the Lord and he did all kinds of evil. That's the man in charge of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And then this man, Elijah, shows up kind of out of nowhere in scripture. Not much is given about his background or who he is. But there's this sense that Elijah comes with kind of a reputation. There's a weight about Elijah. And that might be because the first thing Elijah does is he prophesies to Ahab that there's going to be a drought. He says there's going to be no rain, not even dew on the ground, except by the word of the Lord. And that's exactly what happens. For three years, Israel is in a drought. No rain, no dew on the grass, nothing. I mean, you know, if you're Ahab trying to lead a people, you don't want to lead them through a drought. No leader is ever looking forward to leading through economic disaster. No leader is looking forward to that. And they will do and have done whatever it takes to get them out of it. So three years into the drought, Elijah sent back to address Ahab to discuss ending the drought. And Ahab calls him, he goes, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Which next to Sons of Thunder, I think is my second favorite title in scripture. You troubler of Israel. Because he's blaming Elijah for the drought. And Elijah says, it's not me, but it's you who have troubled Israel. You have abandoned the commandments of God. You have set up prophets. uh, You have set up um, altars to Baal. You have built an Asherah pole. It's not me, it's you. And then like an absolute boss, Elijah says, so here's what we're going to do. You bring me 450 of the prophets of Baal and we'll put them up against the one prophet of Yahweh. And we're going to build two altars and put two sacrifices on them. And the God who is the real God will send fire from heaven and that God will be God to this people. So we're going to pick up the story shortly after the prophets of Baal have cried out all day long and received no answer. So Elijah steps up to take his turn. So we're in 1 Kings 18, verses 36 through 45. And would you stand with me for the reading of the word of the Lord? And at that time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near. And he said, Oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, verse 41, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up, and he looked, and he said, There's nothing. And he said, Go again. Seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand, is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. We're gonna talk about three things. We're gonna talk about the drought, the showdown, and the provider. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And we ask that you would speak to us tonight through your word. That you would give us a revelation of the truth of your character, of who you are to us. Build our faith in this moment tonight. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand what the Spirit of the living God is saying to us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Say amen. All right. God is great. Um, sometimes you don't know how good you have it until you don't have it anymore. I don't know about you, but can we all agree that adulting was way harder than anybody told us it was going to be? (laughs) I'm at a point now where I've got a lot of it figured out. I don't have all of it figured out. I've got a lot of it figured out, but can we agree that those first few years when you're out on your own are a lot harder than anyone told you they were going to be like when you go into your fridge and there's nothing there, like that's your problem. (laughs) And if you go to your fridge and there is food in your fridge, ain't nobody cooking it for you. Like these are the basic elements of life, but how many, you know, for me, food is one of the most important issues of my life. So, so that's what came to mind first. When I thought about how hard it is to be grown (laughs) is just feeding myself. Don't get me started on taxes, annual checkups. Which, if you're like me, an annual checkup happens about once a decade. We got car, home, health insurance, all these issues that need renew. budgeting. There's all these problems. Like when I was growing up, if the fridge was empty, all I knew was that the next day the fridge would be full. And at dinner time, you know what would be on the table? The dinner. And I didn't have to worry about it. I didn't have to do a thing about it. And I missed the days when all that stuff was done for me. In many ways, I wish I could get back to it. I go to Wegmans like every week now. I have a routine of going to the grocery store. Michelle and I, we basically just live between meals at this point. We finish eating and cleaning up one, and we just start preparing and making the next one. That's all we do. All we do is feed people in our house. we got to decide. You know, you have to decide what you eat for dinner every night. Isn't that the worst Is anyone, is anyone, is that the worst decision you have to make every day? Okay. Thank you, God. I'm with my people. All I'm saying is sometimes you don't know how good you have it until you don't have it anymore. And sometimes, you know, when you go without a thing, you realize how much you needed that thing in the first place. I think that's where Israel finds itself in this moment. They're in a drought. You know, they had had it good for a long time. Springtime would come. Harvest would come. Crops would come. Storehouses would be full. It's not an issue. And then all of a sudden, Elijah prophesies a drought. And for three years, there's no rain. No rain means no crops. No crops means no food. At least no good food. And so, all of a sudden, the people of Israel, Ahab himself, are brought to an awareness of how much they needed something they didn't have. And the crazy thing about this drought is that there's not a reason that's even given for it. The word of the Lord just goes out, and no one is told why. I want to talk about the drought for a minute. You know, all of us at one point or another find ourselves in a season of drought and we're rarely ever given an explanation as to why. All we know is that all of a sudden we find ourselves without the things we used to have. Money that used to be there, it's not there anymore. Investments that were trending up into the right, all of a sudden they're not. Job opportunities have dried up. You thought it would be easy to get a job. Turns out it's not so easy to get a job. Sometimes we find ourselves in a drought of faith and you're trying to muster up, like you're coming to church, you're trying to find something to join in with everybody else and you're just like, man, there's just nothing there. You're in a drought. I know some of you here tonight are in a relational drought. All your prospects have dried up. You come to church, <laughs> trying to find somebody, but everybody here is looking at Jesus. They're not looking at you. <laughs> and so you find yourself in a drought. Listen, don't come to church to find a spouse. Come to church to find Jesus. The spouse will find you. Okay. All I'm saying, all the married people said, amen. Oh, yes. All the single people said, man, shut up. (laughs) All I'm saying, we all find ourselves in a drought season at one point or another. We find ourselves in a place where the things that used to be there suddenly dry up and aren't there anymore. And when we find ourselves, what is the first thing that we always do? We always question God. Why is this happening? Why are you doing this to me? God, where'd my money go? Can you just miraculously provide for me? God, why won't you give me a job? Why why are you withholding? Why won't you be nice? What happened, man? I thought we were good. God, what's the deal? The drought is where we question who our provider is and where our provision comes from. And that's not really a question we ask when times are good, is it? When times are good, we just, we're just happy. Things are good. We don't worry about it. We don't think about it. But then all of a sudden, when you don't have provision, you start looking for your provider. All of a sudden, when you haven't had rain in a while, you start wondering where the rain is coming from and why it's not here. When you find yourself without something, you begin asking questions about where your provision comes from in the first place. But here's the thing. Typically, what leads us into a drought is that we have forgotten who our provider is in the first place. Like that's what gets us there is we drift away from the one and we stop relying on God and begin relying on ourselves. We begin to take God's place in our lives and we try to do things for us that we are meant to rely on God to do for us. And we were never meant to be our own sole source of provision. We were meant to live reliant on God in faith every day. So when our methods and our means dry up and we find ourselves lacking, it's funny who we run back to. But I actually think that's intentional. I think that God uses our drought seasons to bring us back to him. He he uses those desert seasons, those dry seasons when we are without to cause us to turn and to look back to the one who provides. See, that's the power of the drought. It brings us back to the one we should have never left in the first place. It calls attention to our area of need, our area of pain, our area of of insecurity. It takes away our security blanket, takes away our comfort. All of a sudden we get uncomfortable. We start looking to God like, God, you were supposed to make me comfortable, weren't you? And now we have a moment to learn a thing or two about God in his mercy. I wonder how many of us are finding ourselves in a dry season right now and you haven't realized that it's God's grace to you trying to draw you back to him. I believe, God's, I believe the drought can be God's grace to you because what it can do when you experience the provision of God is it can form within you an irrefutable knowledge that God holds all things together for you that you don't have to. He does it for you. And here's why. A Christ follower who has, um, who has a need that requires supernatural help to get things that they can't get on their own is really good soil for a miracle, right? You find yourself without things that you can't even provide for yourself in the first place. You get to the end of yourself. You begin looking at God going, I need help. That's not natural. I need help. That's supernatural. And that's the ground for God to move miraculously. And what testifies to God's authority and power more than his miraculous provision, more than his miraculous provision. When you have a miracle from God, you don't ever go back. You're changed forever. So the drought makes us question God. It makes us wonder whether he's really for us or not. Whether he's really our Jehovah Jireh, our provider or not. And that's what I love about droughts. Droughts provide the necessary conditions for miracles. So when we find ourselves there, just remember what you might be on the cusp of. See, Ahab, I don't think he truly believed in the God of Israel. He welcomed Baal. He set up an Asherah pole. He'd worship whatever he had to worship to get what he needed. Like it didn't matter to him. He was just willing to worship whatever. Just as long as it gives me a benefit, I will worship it and I will give it attention. And Elijah prophesies a drought to him, which gets his full attention. Because all of a sudden, you know what you can't do as a king? You can do a lot of things, but you can't make it rain. Can't control the weather. That's completely out of your control. And God uses that moment to call to attention all of the sources, all of the systems, all of the gods that Ahab and by extension, many of us will look to as our provision to set up a showdown, to set up a test, to set up a moment that will give us an irrefutable knowledge of the hand of God working in our lives. The drought calls into question what you believe about God. It calls us to consider who truly provides for us. But God uses a drought to teach us something about himself. And his ability to provide miraculously for us. The drought is a setup for the showdown. So what happens? Remember, Ahab married a, woman named, a foreign woman named Jezebel. And the problem with marrying a foreign woman in this context was not that she was a foreigner, but that she had foreign gods. And that marriage by nature then brings in and welcomes in and adds to your culture, adds to your kingdom an additional god. How I many of us have a bad idea if you've got multiple gods? You shouldn't do that. And um, as a result of this, you have this partnership with the Sidonians, which is what her her people were. You have this intermixing of religious practices, this intermixing of gods, intermixing of temples, intermixing of, of sacrifice. And so what you get as a result, when you have multiple gods in your life, is you get a divided nation. And the the word says, actually, just before the passage we read, the Bible says, Elijah says to him, you you are limping between two gods. I just feel so convicted that that is where our culture is in this moment and has been for a long time. There's nothing really special about this moment other than it's the moment we're living in. But how many of us and how many of us have seen our culture, even ourselves sometime limping between multiple gods, between sources, between providers, between opinions. We're in a time now where even the things taught to you in church from the Bible get taken out of here and weighed against what the world says. We're in a cultural climate where the word of God is filtered through culture's perspective. Instead of the culture being filtered through the word of God. We've done it backwards. We want to see, does this marry up with what they say? Does this marry my worldview out there and what I've seen on Twitter, what I've seen in the news, what I've seen in relationships, what I've seen out there? Does this match that? But we've got it backwards. That needs to begin matching this. We don't filter this through what we've heard and seen out there. We filter what we hear and see out there through this. And when you do that, you find truth. But we're in a moment where we take what we hear here. We go out there when we look for somebody else to validate it or worse. We take what's in here and we filter it through ourselves. And we question, do I validate it? Does it, does this resonate with me? Does this help me get where I want to go? Does this bless the plans I already have? Cause that's what I'm really after. This is what I want to do. Can I find a place where God says I can do that? We're living between gods. We're living between opinions. We're living between providers. And I just felt like if you're struggling with your faith today, in the sense of if you find yourself very confused, like you don't know what to do, you're not sure what's right, you're not sure what truth is, perhaps it's because we've been living between gods. And we've given other voices equal weight to God's voice. And the word of God maybe hasn't been given full authority in our life. And perhaps Jesus is not truly entirely Lord of our lives, as we've said he is. Like you might believe the scripture, but you haven't obeyed it. You're limping between two gods. You want the promise of scripture, but you're not quite sure you're ready to pay the price that comes with it. You're limping, living between two gods. It's hard to find certainty when you're living in a divided world. Do you guys know what it means to hedge a bet? It's a gambling term, so I'm kind of glad it was very quiet. I was really hoping someone would be like, yeah, I'd be like, got him. (laughs) Hedging your bet is a way of limiting risk when you've bet on a certain outcome. So example like this. If you place a bet on a team, team A, and it doesn't look like that bet is working out, maybe it's halfway through, your team is down big, and it looks like you're about to lose your money, what you'll do is you'll place another bet, you'll hedge your bet, and put money on the other team. And that way, at the end of the game, you might recover some or all of the money you were definitely going to lose on your first bet. It means you bet on both teams just to make sure that if your first plan doesn't work out, you've got a little skin in the game to limit how much you lose. It's hedging your bet. It's a little crazy because when you hedge your bet, you are guaranteeing that one of them will lose. That's the only thing you can be certain of when you hedge a bet. One of them is one of them is going to fall through. It's easy for us to hedge our bets in life and to hedge our bets in faith, isn't it? We profess faith in Jesus. We say things like God's my everything. He's all I need. And we say we're going all in on Jesus, but we hedge our bets but having backup plans just in case he doesn't come through for us. And when you hedge a bet, you're guaranteeing one of them will lose. And let me just tell you tonight, Jesus is not going to lose to you. So when you put your weight in your, in your, your money or you put your faith on something that's not him, one of them is going to lose. It's not going to be him. And giving your life to Christ is an all-in situation. You don't give part of your life. You don't give some of your life. You give all of your life. And anybody who goes into an all in situation with a backup plan, they ain't really all in. Oh yeah, we're dating. We're exclusive. And I'm also DMing a few other old female friends. I don't. I'm just keeping my options open. You ain't all in. You're hedging your bet. You're keeping avenues open to find another means in case this one doesn't work out. That's not all in. That's not all in. God, I want you to bless my financial plan, my retirement plan, and my bank account. And when you do, then I will tithe. Well, you're not all in. You're asking God to bless something, to prove that that's a winning bet, and then you'll respond. You put money in other places. You put your faith in other places, and one of them will lose and fall short, I can promise you. When you find yourself in a drought, the question you've got to ask yourself is, where do you turn? Because where you go when a drought hits tells me everything about who your God is and how much faith you have in him. The drought comes to Israel. And because they've allowed themselves to serve multiple gods, they have to make a decision on who to turn to. Do I turn to to Baal? Do I turn to Yahweh? And Elijah says, let's put him to the test. Let's just find out. Let's not talk about it. Let's be about it. Y'all are limping between gods. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. That's all I need to do. Just tell me one or the other. He says, I'm done playing games. Okay? Let's just do this. Let's have this out right here, right now. The God who answers by fire, that's the one that's God. And remember, in the context of our series, in the context of Scripture, what does fire do? Fire brings about a revelation of God's power and identity. Now, I love this story because Elijah is a little bit petty. He's, he's actually quite funny in this story specifically. And maybe you'll read the whole chapter later tonight. Um, and I kind of love that about him. That says more about me than it does about him. But that's another night. We don't have to worry about that. There's a lot of shade in this story. And one of those pieces of shade is the whole, even the, the challenge itself. We're going to call down fire. There's extra biblical literature that suggests that Baal was a God who controls fire and lightning. So Elijah says, I'll give you home court advantage. Let's play on your terms. You got a God of fire? Great. Let's have it be fire. And let's see which God is the real God. It's so petty and I love it. So the prophets of Baal, they cry out all day long, like they're raving, it says they're cutting themselves, they're crying out like all day, shouting to God or to, to to Baal, like, send the fire, like do the thing. And I love it. In verse 29, it says, No one answered, no one paid attention. So much shade in this story. They go on and on crying out to Baal, they spend all day out there and nobody answers. I wish more of us would treat the world and its voices the way that Elijah treats Baal. Elijah's like, go ahead. Try and see if the world will give you what you need. Go ahead. Play on its terms. Go cry out. Go find it. Go figure it out. Go and see if the world has for you what you think you really need. I'll wait here. I got all day. I got no plans. Go and see. But instead, we have a tendency due to our sin nature to act like the prophets of Baal, going to such great lengths to get people who aren't listening to pay attention to us, putting all of our energy in the wrong places. How many people need to go the way of the world pursuing fulfillment and power and money and sex and status? And winding up empty before we begin to listen and pay attention. How many? The problem Israel faced is the same one that we faced. We have a tendency to live between gods and the world has proven time and time again. It does not provide for you the way the one who made you does. There's only one who provides for you. But we cry out to the world to give us significance we're going to the world for help, to ungodly sources for support. We're going to money, then to fitness, then to social status, then to uh, positions and career, and if not that, then to relationships, marriage. Surely children will give me fulfillment. If that doesn't work, back into my career. More money, more things. That will give me fulfillment. That will be my provision. That will be the thing that I need. We're trying everything the world has to offer, wondering when it will listen to us, when it will answer us. When it will give us the thing that we need. But nobody is listening. And nobody out there is paying attention to anybody but themselves. And when will we realize that if nobody is listening, maybe nobody's there. And if everything we've put on the first altar the altar to Baal, the altar to the world, if everything we've put on the first altar is still there after all of our crying out, all of our trying to find it, all of our self-help, if it's still there on the first altar after all of that, maybe it's time to look to the second altar. Maybe it's time to turn and to see what God has for us. So Elijah calls all the people around them, He brings them all close and he begins to pick up the pieces of the altar of the Lord to repair them, rebuilding that which had been torn down. He was reconstructing the wreckage that came as a result of living between gods. The altar to Yahweh had fallen into disrepair. It had not been used. And so Elijah and the people, they had to rebuild it. And you might be here tonight, finding yourself in a season of rebuilding your faith. Like, through the years you've suffered some things. Some heartbreak, some pain, maybe some church hurt. Some unmet expectations, some unfulfilled dreams. You've suffered some losses in your life. And the God that others call good, you're not so sure you would call him good exactly. And the God that others call faithful you're not so sure if you can call him faithful. Just had this sense as I prepared this message that a lot of us find ourselves in a rebuilding phase. We're picking up the pieces of our faith that have fallen into disrepair, into disuse because of maybe some hurt we've experienced or suffered in our life. So we've stopped looking to God and we've begun looking to the world We've looked to our friends. We look to ourselves. We're trying to find answers. We're trying to find guidance. Some of us, we've doubted God. We've maybe even walked away from him. You've lived lived between gods. Like he's been there, but he's not really been there. You're not sure who to trust. You're not sure what to believe in. You're not sure where you go from here. But I want you to know that you can pick up the pieces of your faith and begin to rebuild what has been torn down. And you can begin to reconstruct and put back together your view and your understanding of God. And I can promise you that God will meet you in the process of rebuilding. And my hope and my prayer for us as a people, my hope and my prayer for this place, that we would create a space that is safe for those who are rebuilding their faith. That we would be the body of Christ that comes around. Listen, Elijah called the congregation to himself. Come here. And rebuild with me. Don't rebuild on your own. And don't even think that you can. God has given you the congregation to build with you. To support you. To hold up your arms like Aaron and Hur does to Moses. To be the strength that you need when your faith is low. He calls the congregation unto himself. And then they build up An altar, you need people in your life who can remind you of the goodness of God in your past. Who can point out the moments to you when you felt like God was never there. And then they say, man, I see him right there in your story. I remember that time and I was there with you. I've seen it. I've known about it. And you can take those little memorial stones and put together just enough to make an offering to God. Listen, here's the thing. God doesn't need a perfect altar. He works just fine with a broken one. All we need to do is to bring something, something to him, a broken altar and a faithful sacrifice. And God will do more with that than you can ever ask, think or imagine because he responds to the faith of his people who are seeking him. But before God does more in this moment, Elijah does something crazy pours water all over the sacrifice, all over it, all over the, around it. It's covered in water because sometimes the circumstances have to be overwhelmingly against us to get us to truly see the power of God at work. Remember Gideon? God said, you got too many men. You got too many men to win this battle. Send, send a bunch of them home because if you won the battle and you had strength behind you, you would take credit. You wouldn't give me any. Sometimes the circumstances have to be so overwhelmingly against us. That we actually can see the hand of God moving in it. Because we know there's nothing else here that we could have done. So Elijah prays that God would answer him. And the fire of heaven falls in that moment. And it licks up everything on the altar. Water, water, all of it. So what's the purpose of God's miraculous power on display in this moment? Why does God send the fire? It's to show us that God's power is the evidence that he is our provider. It was the power of God's fire that showed everyone exactly who was in charge here. And it could not have been done by natural means. Elijah poured the water on it to make sure of it. Now, what's going to happen here is completely supernatural. So the fire of God falls. There's no denying which God is the real God. And that establishes within the people a certainty on who the true God is. This isn't the first time God's done it. It's not the last time God's done it. This is what God did through Jesus, is it not? It was the miracle-working power of Christ that proved to us and to the people then that he was God's provision to us. Be honest. wasn't his teaching, wasn't his character. It was his miracles. A crowd came to him because they wanted healing. They wanted food. They wanted their dead raised. They believed Jesus had something for them. And that they believed that because they saw the work that he could do supernaturally. The first century church in the book of Acts, grows expands not because paul was such a great teacher although he was but because they were raising people from the dead and getting the lame up and walking and healing the eyes of the blind that's the thing that got the attention and spoke to something greater than just man the words on the page sound good and it's the new covenant That was reinforced and believed because they saw the power of God that asserted and affirmed that there was only one true God. There was only one who can do the impossible. There was only one who can provide for your every need. It's the God who made your eyes that can heal your eyes. It's the God who formed your legs that can restore your legs. It's the God that gave you breath that can give you breath again. Don't believe me? Let me show you. And when you show people, they're much more willing to listen to what you have to say. The purpose of God's power is to reveal to us exactly who he is and to reaffirm to us that he's our provider. Because look what happens next. Once the fire fell and cleaned up everything off the altar, there was no denying who the true God was. So the prophets of Baal were taken down by the brook. They were dealt with. Let's not talk about it. And then Elijah goes to Ahab and he goes, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing rain. Remember the whole context of this passage, they're in a drought trying to figure out which God, can bring rain, which God can do the thing that no man could do. And as soon as the fire of God's power fell, so did the water of God's provision. The fire of God's power was sent to prove that he's the provider of drought ending water. And I need you to know that that's not just true back then. That's true in your life as well. When God shows up and you remember and encounter his power When you experience the miracle working hand of God in your life, when he moves on your heart, when he makes himself known to you, when you witness the miraculous or you experience for yourself, it is the power of God that reasserts his identity as the one who is faithful to provide for you. You find yourself in a drought, start looking for the power and allow the power of God to remind you of his faithfulness and his ability to provide for you. But I need you to catch this last thing. And then we're going to pray together and end our service. We can do, we can do keys. You have the miracle of the fire. You have the showdown. You have the altars. You have all of this. You have the certainty. It is the God of Israel who is the one true God. Baal, forget about him. We never knew that guy. We were just joking. It's all about Yahweh now. You have the display of power. And you even, Elijah even had a word from God. Before all this happened, God tells him the drought's going to end. So you have have the the power of God. You have the word of God. But you still need a persistent faith to see the provision of God. It still took them seven trips up the mountain to see the cloud. Man, I think that's so interesting. That you have this miracle of fire in a moment. Elijah prays. God sends it. It's done. He's the one who ends the drought. Go up seven times. Keep going. Keep believing. Keep happening. Some of you have encountered the power of God in your life. You've seen it. You actually don't have doubts there. You know of the miracle working hand of God in your life. That's not new to you. Some of you even have a word from God of how he's going to provide for you. You know, the season that you're in, you know, God has told you, he has reassured you. He has helped you to believe that there is an end coming, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And yet some of you in that seat are still waiting. You're still going up the mountain. Because just because you've experienced the power doesn't mean you no longer need persistence. God is drawing us unto himself, not for a flash in the pan, but for a life that is fully changed. For a life that can no longer be led apart from trusting him as your provision. So he sends his power, but it still requires persistence. The only difference in this moment is that if you've already seen one miracle, you can be sure that you'll see another. But I just know us. A lot of us have lost hope in that, given up belief that God would truly provide. And I get it, I've been there. There's no judgment in that statement. It's a diagnosis of the human condition. This is what we do. We have short memories with God. We're so quick to forget. Would you stand with me? We're going to close here. I think many of us have lived lately between gods, weighing the things of God against our experience in the world. Some of us have had the altars of our faith destroyed due to lack of use, due to hurt, due to pain in our lives. And there's not much there to build on. I think some of us are facing a situation where it can only be a miracle. There's nothing we can do. It's completely out of our hands at this point. All I can do is pray. I think some of us are on our fifth or sixth trip up the mountain. Maybe you're on your hundredth trip up the mountain. And you're trying to believe. But you're just wondering, when are you going to see the providing hand of God in your life? And I just want to remind you tonight that your faith is not in an outcome. Your faith is in the power of a living God who has already proven to you that he is everything you need. He holds all things together in his hands. Regardless of whether you get what you think you need, regardless of whether you get what you think you deserve, your faith is not in the outcome. Your faith is in the power of a living God who holds everything you need in his hands. And he proves that throughout all scripture. He gives us Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of both his power and his provision. For who can stand before a righteous and a holy God? All of us, men and women of unclean lips, have no ability to stand before a righteous God. We don't have the power. We don't have the ability. And yet God makes a provision for us in Christ himself to come. To be for us what we could not be for ourselves. That's the whole point, you guys. We cannot be for ourselves what we need. There is only one who can. And God will allow you to walk through a desert. He will allow you to live in a drought. Because he wants you to come to him. And to find him. In the middle of it. Not just so that you get your miracle. But that you live a life that is completely and utterly different than it was before. A life surrendered and submitted to the one true God. The God of your provision. The God who has what you need. The God who knows every hair on your head. And knit you together in your mother's womb. That God who knows exactly where your struggle is right now. He's not unaware. We talked about that. He's exactly aware. He's perfectly aware. He's fundamentally more aware of it than you are. And when we have encountered the presence of God, the power of God, it ought to change something in us, shifting something in us to believe that he is the only one who brings us his provision. So Lord, I just pray for those here today who's watching online who maybe feel far from you, who maybe feel dried up, who maybe feel hurt, who maybe feel lost, who maybe have lived between gods wondering, will I actually see the active working hand of God in my life or not? I pray for those on their sixth trip up the mountain beginning to question and to wonder is it worth another trip? God I pray for those rebuilding their faith in this room who are just picking up the pieces man it was there at one point but lately God it's been hard It's been hard to believe. It's been hard to engage. It's been hard to step into what you're doing, even in this space. God, I see everybody else stepping into it and experiencing it and worshiping and having this encounter, but God, there's something on my heart that keeps me from it. Lord, would you minister your grace to them even now? God, you are a God who takes a stony heart and you turn it to flesh. You are a God who makes all things new. You are the God of resurrection power. You restore to us the way that we ought to have been in the first place. By your grace, by your mercy, and in your loving kindness, Lord, this is what you do for us. So spirit of the living God, would you minister your peace over these people here tonight? Would you minister your grace over them here tonight? For those who are believing for a breakthrough of the provision of God in a miraculous way, God, we say in the name, of jesus we believe god that you are our provider you are our jehovah jireh you are all that we need all that we have ever needed all that we will ever need god and we're looking to you to deliver to us what only you can we're laying ourselves down our means down our methods down our strategies down god we're just surrendering in a moment to you And we are freshly declaring, God, I am not enough. I trust that you are enough. You are the God who sends fire from heaven. You are the God who burns in my heart. You are the God who reforms my mind. You are the God who heals my body. You are the God who forgives me of my sin. You are the God who restores me in your sight. And God, if you have done all of those things for me before, surely, God, I will see your faithfulness, your provision, and your goodness yet again. I've seen the miracle once. I believe God. I'll see it again. And I believe that the dead and the hurting parts of my heart can be healed by you in a moment like even this one God. As you minister your provision your healing hand on each and every person here tonight. God would you be made bigger. As we decrease God would you increase. As we humble ourselves would you glorify yourself. Would we go low and exalt you on high. God we want you in this place. We declare you are Lord of this place. You are glorious in this place. You are God of this place. You are all that we need, all that we've ever wanted, all that we've ever had and you are enough. Lord, we love you and we worship you in this place. Have your way with us, we pray in Jesus' name.